Nintendo. chat for the week of March 7th, 2015. I am Jose Otero, and we have a very special treat for you today, but let me introduce our regulars. So we have Brian Altano. What's up? We have Pear Schneider. Hello. And we have comedian, writer for The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, formerly of Nintendo Treehouse and IGN. Welcome, Mike Drucker. Hello. So good to have you on the show, man. Thank We're really excited. Yeah. You put all the, all the bald guys on one side of the room. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what's going on. This was hair versus no hair. Give me, give me a year. Shirts for skin. It's just like de-evolution. <laughs> Of people. <laughs> wow, he puts you at the end. I'm after you now. That's, man, that is really right. good. So if you're watching the Welcome video, back. you get you get a treat. Welcome back, man. Thank yeah, you. It's, yeah, it's great to be here. You here. Yeah, I missed that, Jan. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit. Give give folks sort of the the background on your career because you've done a lot of things. Well, thank this you. is your life. Uh, 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 <laughs> so uh, where to begin? I used to. Sort of the short story is I was a uh, research assistant at Saturday Night Live, and I was freelancing jokes for Weekend Update, and uh, I was at the point where I wanted to become a writer, but they just didn't have space at the time, and I think I was sort of like, I don't want to keep doing research, and then I got offered a job at Nintendo, so I moved to Seattle, worked at Nintendo as a localization writer in the treehouse, and then I got a job from IGN, and I moved to San Francisco and did IGN, and then I got a job offer from uh, Jimmy Fallon, which is where I am now. Traitor. Okay. Traitor, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, see, all I, all I know about your life is uh, from uh, skits on uh, on Up at Noon. That's right. <laughs> weird That's confessionals about <laughs> being sad at Christmas. We did weird and... stuff together on that show. Yeah, it was so yeah. much fun. It was really there were some fun. really good ones in the past. I'm yeah. trying to remember them. There were there were also things involving cereal, um, <laughs> cereal and all, all sorts of stuff. Not the stuff. podcast. No, yeah. not yeah. the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Like the ones you eat. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. what happened to Count Chocula? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We, I mean, they let us. You, you let us. Yeah, you let yeah. us. What dive in our own <laughs> weird brains for a while there. So that was fun. No, it's great. It was really cool because uh, you had just you had just come off of working at Nintendo. Yeah, right? yeah. And I remember you had like just a desk full of really obscure Nintendo stuff. Right. Because there was some sort of like. What was like a company yard sale? Like, how does that work? You had Nintendo cereal. You had like when I was there. When I was at Nintendo, I don't know if they still do it, but they did every December. They had what they called the garage sale, where yeah. they would just like sort of empty out their lockers of of things they didn't need anymore, uh, and they give all the money to charity. It was really nice. But like people would line up at like five. Like I remember getting there five in the morning. There was like twelve people in front of me, wow. and they're company employees. They're yeah. people who work I was at Nintendo. Say, this is not guys off the street. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing about Nintendo is everyone who works there is a fan of Nintendo, yeah. you know, and not all of us were there 20 years. So like you'd see stuff, you're like, oh my God, it's like an original Nintendo, like in the box. Like I remember oh, one wow. guy got it for like 30 bucks, like a fully boxed NES. Um, so I got a lot of memorabilia from that. The cereal box though I got on eBay. Okay. When I was at Nintendo, was I had there still thing. cereal in it? No, thank okay. God. Uh, I would have probably tried some. You would. <laughs> but when I when I was at Nintendo, though, I, I had this thing where I was like, I'm going to build a Nintendo museum at my desk, and I like stole other desks and rolled them up and built this giant thing, and I was like, I'm going to be here forever, so I'm just going to build this giant museum. And then I left, and I went to IGN, and I was like, I'm going to keep the museum here. I'm going to be here forever. Yep. And then like I left, and I was like, I can't move this again, so I gave it to Audrey. And I was like, Oh, Audrey, I'll keep it at IGN forever. Then she went to Nintendo. <laughs> oh man. So wait a minute. This what is a curse? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it, it is cursed. So, what were some of your favorite pieces? Like, call uh, out like the standout. There was like a weird Mario TV. Tra- My favorite pieces were the pieces from before when Nintendo had like a style guide. Yeah. So, like in the late '80s, when Nintendo was like, "Go ahead and make things," and you had Mario with like weird faces, mm-hmm. and like the bodies weren't right, or you had like a Yoshi that looked like a monster. Um, my favorite era of Nintendo, I think, is that era when they were like, we don't need to, like, control all of this. We can just make really bad cartoons and everything will be fine. <laughs> like, I have original cell art from Captain N, the Game Master, oh, which was oh, man. five whole dollars on eBay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quick heads up. There's a booth at San Diego Comic-Con every year, and probably New York Comic-Con, yeah. that's just, this guy sells, like, old cell art like that. And I yeah. found one. Uh, he had Super Mario Super Show. He had Zelda, which was, for some reason, they, there was only 12 episodes of that show. I remember yeah. it being way more than that. <laughs> yeah, no, because it when you're a kid. It, when you're a kid, it's like, it's just seems like they're 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 on it's on for five but years by but. the time you're at the, on the yeah. fourth episode you forgot the first one so it's yeah, all yeah, new yeah. to you yeah no but i really Cyclical. love all that because it's a, a mickey mouse and mario they're so similar in so many ways but it, a lot of that is also when you go back and look at the really early mickey mouse stuff where he's just like really loose and squiggly and he's right. like hey everybody like mario was the same way where yeah. you're like are you running <laughs> like but also losing weight but your body like you, half your body is fat right but, right right uh you would see like a, a thermos that had mario and luigi on it and you're like okay these guys actually kind of look like real plumbers right. at this point. Yeah. You know, and now they're cartoon characters. Before so. Bob Hoskins came along. Yeah. Right. Really yeah. made him look yep. like a plumber. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I just, I've heard stories, and I think uh, when it was announced that you were going to be on this episode, Trinan brought up something that uh, you had given Audrey that Basically, they were like, she is not worthy. I don't, it was a lunchbox? Yeah, there was, there was a lunchbox and a thermos, like one of the originals from like 86 or something. Wow. Yeah. Man. Oh, man. Um, she, she, by the way, she sold her collection. She retired <laughs> to an island. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is I'm sure that collection is worth nothing. Like, I'm sure, like, like, emotionally it's worth everything but yeah. i'm sure if like there's some guy with a some obese guy with like a like a price code who's like this is only worth 17 dollars. it's not even worth it like yeah like i have a box of like all of the original mario brothers trading cards worth nothing yeah but they're just so nice to but have but it's cool to flip through right yeah it's cool yeah. to flip yeah. or it was when i owned it when you <laughs> now it's gone <laughs> so you didn't, you didn't bring any of that stuff with you to fallon did you i think what i brought i think i brought i had a inflatable bald bull that someone gave me from super punch i remember that you need yeah. to show that next yeah. time reggie's on the show yeah just saying like just walk up to him let's see what happens so i yeah. brought that with me i brought <laughs> Uh, what else did I bring? I think, uh, when remember when we did Up at Noon with uh, Keiji and Afune? Yeah. And he signed our Mega Man carts? Yeah. I brought he, that with well, me. Well, no, he's for, he signed that for you. For me, he signed a bottle of Fleischmann's liquor. Because <laughs> we did Fleischmann. Wait, what? Because I pitched him. I pitched, oh, Fleischmann. I yeah. pitched yeah. him Fleischmann, who's a, like a, a, an evil <laughs> enemy from vodka based on vodka. <laughs> you know what great. What yeah. were we doing? I, I don't know. Do you remember if if you're not a Mega Man fan, every Mega Man boss ends with man. man. Yeah, so it's yeah. Splash man, Girl. Foot man, yep. Chicken Man. Except for Splash Woman. Yeah, yeah. Splash Woman. Splash Woman. Yeah. 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 They've never made a Fleisch Woman, yeah. you know? Get on that. Fleisch Man yeah, get awesome. on that. All right. Oh, God. Um, damn, that collection sounds amazing. Any white whales, just to end before we move on? Like any anything that you were like, I need to have this, but it costs too much money. I still don't have a top loading NES. I'd always like to get one, but it always just seems not worth it at the price. Mm. How much mm. are they going for? I think they go for like a couple hundred. Oh man, because I, I think they were forty nine ninety nine when I bought one. Yeah. Right. Well, when they first came out. Yeah, when they first came out, they were super cheap. Right. I remember getting that because every you most people bought the top loading NES because they had to because their regular NES broke. Yeah. My regular NES by the end of that era. Uh, 
you had to I would put a game in and then another game on top to push it down. Right. So if you didn't have two games, it just didn't work. Okay. So you had to shove all these things in it just to get it to work. But wow. yeah, the top loading one was cool. Right. Had the kind of rounded controller and stuff like that. I didn't realize that was uh, like a rarity. I think it's pretty rare. Did you have to explain that to your mom? Like my mom would see something like that and be like, what did you do? Did you break it? Oh, like, yeah. like immediately go Bronx well, you know, when, you know when you plug out any video game system into your TV and it doesn't work or something doesn't work anymore, your parents are like, your Nintendo broke the TV. And I'm like, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. possible. <laughs> it never happens. Well, I distinctly remember when Super Nintendo came out, one of the features that me and my friends talked about was that you didn't have to blow into the carts. Yeah. <laughs> like that was like yeah. we weren't like, oh, the graphics are better, or these games can be bigger. We were like, oh man, the games always work. Well, if they could have put that in the box, like some of them talk. <laughs> you don't have to blow into the carts. <laughs> Which again, I know it doesn't work and is a myth, but yeah. when you're seven, you think it does. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it's God, it's so fascinating. I love like I remember talking to people about the Super Nintendo when it first came out and yeah. just being able to be like, there's you can hear a harp now. <laughs> like, some of the some of the levels you could hear an instrument and it's not just beeps and, and fax machine noise. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, I like it. All right, so Mike, let's talk a little bit then about your time at Treehouse specifically. Sure. Um, what games did you work on while you were there? I worked on, the first project I worked on was the Mario Anniversary Collection for the Wii and that was sort of a training wheels project because there wasn't any game to localize. I just got to localize a manu- the, they, the collector's books that came with it and some music tracks. Was that um, the Super Mario All-Stars reprint for in, the Wii. in the red yeah. box yeah. With, the, with the booklet and everything like right. that? Oh, that was, yeah, that was so, really cool. So how do, you, how do you localize it? Like, do you get like a sheet of kind of roughly translated Japanese script from, yeah. from Japan? Because spoilers, or? you don't speak yeah. Japanese at I don't, all. Right? I do not speak Japanese. Uh, okay. The way Nintendo does it is um, you as the American English translator, there's also NOE, which will do like the British translation. Um, usually they go off the American one. Sometimes projects are different. But I would be paired with a translator who um, often the translators are someone who was either Japanese but lived in America a long time or like an American who lived in Japan or has parents of different citizenships. And what they would do is they translate something and be like, okay, this character saying this, you know, the accent they have in Japanese is a rough and tumble accent. So mm-hmm. maybe you do like a Brooklyn accent or something. And then you as the American writer, you're like, okay, Welcome so I'll make it sound this way. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or a cultural that's how, signifier. That's how we got Meowth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but little cultural signifiers, like it's not like they just put the script through Google Translate and they're like, rewrite it. Um, yeah, yeah. So you'd work with a translator, and then you the trans and translator also translates emails for you back and forth, and like communicates with Japan. It's it's a very close partnership between your team and NOE and NCL. Um, but for something like that, it was you just get the PDF translated, and then you'd rewrite it, and then they'd check it. Especially that one was checked very closely because it was interviews with like Mr. Miyamoto mm-hmm. and right. people like mm-hmm. that. And when you're dealing with those people, they're very careful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you didn't want to just make stuff up. No. But the cool thing with that project was... <laughs> but he did. When we, we first did. pitched Yoshi, he was a drunk green horse. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody checked it and it got through and that's canon now. <laughs> that is now canon. He's a drunk horse. They are, they are very specific about stuff like that, like uh, about how Yoshis are Yoshis. Yoshi's and, a space dragon, and I think. And Donkey Kong is not a monkey, right? No, he's he's a Kong. He's a Kong, and that there's there's a style guide, there's and he has to wear a tie because he's on a way to a job interview. <laughs> he's always on. A, he's always just blew a job interview. I mean, Every game starts part. with him having a really bad job interview. <laughs> like he ended the job interview going, "Can I use the bathroom?" And they're like, uh, "We're not going to hire you." And then he gets mad and he kidnaps a woman, goes to the top of a construction site. <laughs> right. The rest is history. <laughs> but they do have like a thick style guide that has like the gender of different characters. Not like not not obviously the gender of characters you know but like what's Mario Mario is uh, a man okay but they like 
like Ooh. bombs and stuff like that, and they also have like scale sizes. Like what they have have bombs? Like, are they boys or girls? I think they're. If I remember, they're boys, but I could are be they incorrect. Boys? Yeah. I don't. I don't want to be wrong. And then like some fan is like, is like, man, you didn't work at Nintendo at all. Um, <laughs> I have but to they redraw do. my entire DeviantArt article. <laughs> 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 but they have like the genders and they have like it's the style guide is fascinating and they have like different sizes like you can see like how big things like scale up. It was really it was very cool. Any um, surprises you remember? Um no, you know what? It's more surprising and maybe it's not surprising but how well thought out it is. Okay. You know, and it's nothing seems arbitrary. Mario-verse. Right. And and but it like how uh, like and they also have one for Zelda, they have one for all the different <laughs> franchises. And it's it's not it doesn't feel arbitrary. It's not like them trying to be strict. It was just them being like, we know exactly how he should look. Here's mm-hmm. how he should size up. Here's how you know he should sound. Um, well, I remember reading about uh, the production of Wreck It Ralph, yeah. where they were talking about getting Bowser in that uh, uh, you know villains anonymous room, right. and all the publishers were basically saying, well, our character is this tall, and. The guys working on the movie were just like, oh, so everybody wants their character to be like 700 feet tall, <laughs> but that's not going to work. We have to put a ceiling in this room somehow. Right. Uh-huh. So uh, they fit Zangief, Bowser, uh, you know, all these, uh, M. Bison, all these other characters sure, sure, sure. were in the room at the same time. But I think there was probably a little sort of ebb and flow on yeah. on the actual style guide of scale there. Yeah. Sure, yeah. It's, it's an interesting scenario. Well, and it makes you wonder, too, because Nintendo internally has sort of, um, if you think about it, Smash Brothers just kind of puts them all on an even yeah, scale, yeah, right? Yeah. Just because of that. With the exception of Olimar, who the game portrays him as a much smaller creature, but yeah, in right, Smash right. Brothers, he's enormous for some Which reason. is weird, because like, they'll scale him up, but like the idea of getting Ridley to be the size of Bowser is like, no, no, no. no. Oh, heck no. <laughs> no, no yeah. We're not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Okay, fair. So, so you, you worked on uh, Mario uh, Collection, yeah. Mario Party 9? I worked on Mario Party 9. I was the lead on Mario Party 9. I got to name Pizza Me Mario. That is mm. the mini game that will go on my tombstone. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, that another was name of, of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> no, but 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 those projects were always fun because you'd have big meetings with a I lot of writers. How- Drucker laughs. Like, <laughs> laughs very loud and, and shrilly. It is the but, best. It's my favorite. But we used to hear this from yeah. the studio all It's the one time. of my favorite laughs in the world. Yeah. You've the, just you just lost had, all your listeners. I you forgot. had to hear Drucker laugh from the studio because no one else in there would. <laughs> <laughs> we brought in an audience every week that just never got to that level. Oh, Greg Atlas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He still Hi, comes Greg. in every now and then. I know you listen. Hey, Greg. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, what was it? Oh, no. The cool thing about stuff like Mario Party 9 is you'd have these really fun meetings where you'd either play videos or you'd have a working prototype of the game and you'd be like, what should we name this? And everyone's throwing out puns and it's it's almost like this own, it's like, I, I know it sounds like a pun, but like a naming party. Like everyone's yeah. like having great ideas and it's it's really fun. Those were some of the most fun moments at Nintendo. And that happens uh, at least when I was there. I can't speak for this, you know, now. Of course. Five years later. But when I was there, I'd be like, okay, we have these new enemies in a Kirby game. What should, you know, in the Japanese, they want to name it this. They want to keep this uh, quality of it and we want the name to also reference this. What should we do? And then you have like a whiteboard where people are just naming names. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of fun. Were, were so there... you're standing in front of a grown man and you're like, waddle dee poo. Yeah, but exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Wonkle dee winky. That, but yeah. that's exactly what it, and people are like, yeah. And they're like, no. But it, it's so much fun. Yeah. And you know, then you like give it to Japan and they're like, okay, well, what about this? And it's like a back and forth. The cool thing about at least Nintendo is you're always working 
working very closely with them and like everyone just want, wanted to make a good game. Like it never felt like a corp it never felt like corporate where they're like, well, this is better for marketing. It felt like they were more like, okay, let's try to make it fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there any uh, any uh, 11th hour sort of we have no idea we're running on like we're, this has to get out like now because that, um, that seems to happen, right? These schedules can be complicated. There are milestones and yeah, things that yeah. have to hit at certain times. Um, I think uh, not when I, at least not on projects I worked on. Mm-hmm. I remember I'm responsible for the name Groose and Zelda, which is my only claim to uh, family. Yeah. We need to talk about this. Okay. I mean, it's, but it was Top one of those gun. naming meetings. They were like, we want, he's a bully. We want him to sound like a, you know, everyone has to have a bird type name. The theme was birds in right, Skyward Sword. Right. Oh. And so they were like, okay, we want him to have a name that implies that he's a bird and that he's like a bully. And I was like, well, what about mixing Goose with Bruce? And we call him uh, Groose. And they were like, Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was like, I was like, oh, I've named a Zelda character. Okay, wow. that's pretty wow. awesome. Yeah. and that, that's, uh, that's that's the that's the only like the most of merit thing I did. <laughs> okay, okay. No, but when you think about Groose, I just I know uh, you know I I read a lot of forums, and that name consistently comes up as a character that everyone liked in Skyward yeah. Sword. Yeah, yeah. For the most I, part. I didn't write his dialogue. Sure, I mean, that's sure. all the localization and the team. Uh, doing that, but I came the name, so I yeah. can take more credit than I deserve. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. That is very awesome. Well, you you were working there around the time the the Zelda timeline started coming to like Maybe. bubbling up, right? Was it like right before? Or? It might have been. I might have been there right before, okay. or there were rumblings of it. I was never involved in any of those meetings that discussed that, and I think that was all decided by Japan. Yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm. I can't be certain. Yeah, because I remember uh, that was the first time where I was just like, "Oh man, there's a like a multiverse here." This yeah, is, yeah, yeah. There's a cinematic universe. Which <laughs> this is not. I still don't fully understand. No, like, I've read you never it like will. three or four times, and I'm like, so Link dies. But then he comes back again. Well, there was Anthony Gallegos, who used to work here, used to always say that the Legend of Zelda story is basically some kid with a green shirt wakes up and he has to do some stuff. And as long as you get those bullet points down, you right. can go anywhere in, in the universe. Right. It's, it's funny you bring up not understanding it, though, because this weekend uh, I finished Twilight Princess HD and I whipped open the, the uh, Hyrule Historia. And I'm like, okay, so what happens next on the timeline? Right. It's like, oh, Four Swords Adventures. <laughs> <laughs> Of course oh, it I'm is. You're all, you're all cut up for the story now. For four <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, perfect. Why not? Right? Um, but it, it just caught me by surprise. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, this, sometimes you open that book and you just get an answer. You're yeah. like, not satisfied. Right, with right, right, right. I think the idea of playing through all of them chronologically is I don't know anyone that's ever done that. That's well, just they also a tried. They had tried and we gave up. But no, I, I love the, you know, you've got this dark moment yeah. with yeah. midnight and yeah. the mirror shattering and all that. And then the next <laughs> chapter is Link splits into four and throws throws himself off a cliff yeah, repeatedly, right? right? That's, the, <laughs> that's the kind of yeah, story yeah, arc. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, totally. Okay, so then uh, let's talk about uh, quite possibly the last game you worked on when you yeah. were there. Kid Icarus Uprising. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, technically I worked on Mario Party 9 after Kid Icarus. Okay. Um, but I worked on Kid Icarus Uprising, which was a lot of fun. Uh, that was a, a Sakurai project, mm-hmm. and that's very interesting project to work on because he is uh, like a mad scientist. Okay. okay. You know, uh, I guess, I mean, everyone listening to this probably knows he's the, like the Smash Brothers guy. Yes, that's and, right. And yeah, uh, Kid Icarus Uprising was sort of an in-between project, which for him is still a giant long project. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting because it's almost like I got on it not at the very start of development, but very early on in development. Okay. And he already had everything in his head mapped out. So it wasn't there, it wasn't playable yet, but like everything that was in the final game was on a sheet of paper with him saying, okay, this is gonna happen, there's gonna be this, then we're gonna do this, then we're gonna sacrifice hearts, and it's gonna be harder. And it's almost like he knew everything about the game before it was even programmed. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so awesome dude. So then how do you approach, and I guess for the most part, Japan kind of presented what the story would be, yeah. but how do you approach writing Palutena and Pitt as fresh characters for a series that had not been heard of for years? I, mean, um, I think a lot of it was, and I was also, you know, I was also the secondary writer on it. So I did a lot of it, but I wasn't like the lead on it. Mm -hmm. So I can't take all the credit for the quality of it. That goes to the lead. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but a lot of it, a lot of that game, if you play it, a lot of it is them making fun of how long it's been. There's a lot of jokes about about that. Mm -hmm. um, I think early on in development, Sakurai had the idea for that, and hmm. I think it at first people thought it was weird. But on the American side, we're like, no, please, let's go meta with this. There aren't, you know, um, Smash is kind of meta, but besides that, there aren't a lot of meta Nintendo games, uh, at least in my mind. So we we went with it and we ran with it and we tried to make it funny. Um, and I think it wasn't like, how do we? bring back these characters for fans, we're like, okay, how do we make these characters as new characters and just reference that they've existed for a while? Mm. It's, it's, I mean, that game in particular is hilarious to me because for the longest time, you know, covering Nintendo back, yeah. back in the N64 days and playing games before then, um, Nintendo games were always very restrained when it came to dialogue. Yes, right? yes, like yes. The characters say very little. I mean, Link right. says nothing. Yeah. Samus, for the longest time, didn't say anything until right. she started ranting about babies. I mean, in Zelda 2, they literally can only say what can fit in the dialogue box. Right. Yeah. I am and error. Then yeah. here comes this game, and it's so freaking chatty. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the chattiest video it's game It's very out chatty. There. Yeah. yeah, It's it was almost like uh, like GTA levels of, like, yeah. you're listening to a radio station yeah. while you're driving around, yeah, yeah. and there's just, like, this whole talk radio thing going on. But it's the main characters talking to each other. I thought it was, like, uh, such a sort of refreshing take on anything they'd ever done before. And well, especially I, as somebody that grew up with Kid Icarus to all of a sudden mm -hmm. be like, oh, wait, now there's, like, a there's a... Yeah. Like a, a, a comedic subplot to this. Mm -hmm. And I think Sakurai, you know, to his credit, was like, this is basically a new IP. Yeah. I mm -hmm. mean, it's not a new IP, but nobody, you know, outside of maybe 12 people on the internet, nobody was like, oh, man, they they messed up Kid Icarus. Yeah. Like, it, it was, by and large, a new IP, and that gave Nintendo, in my mind, a lot of room to do new things. Yep. Again, like that's all Sakurai's credit. I don't have any of the credit for that, but it was still a lot of fun to work on. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to me just how he then took that and in Smash Brothers for Wii U and yeah. for well for Wii U because I don't think this appears in 3DS. Palutena and Pitt have exchanges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you know, just like uh, Solid Snake and the Colonel did in yeah. Wall, yeah. they sort of talk about the other character in the room, and yeah. it's just it's a funny little nod to something that was done in that game. Yep, yeah. right. Yep. Yeah, and I remember casting that. It was a lot of fun, like listening to different voice actors. It was mm. such a cool process to like oh did you get you got to sit in on that part too uh i didn't get to sit in on the casting i got to like listen to the, the yeah, yeah voice files and like give my opinion and be like oh i think that guy sounds cool that's great yeah that's really cool yeah yeah i had no idea that the like the the writers got that sort of like that they get to hover in a certain sections like that too at least when i was there localization writers you do a lot i mean you're not just writing you're also working with the marketing team to mm -hmm. be like oh this is what the game's about and you're working with nintendo of europe because you know uh, you know, the British side might be like, oh, you say this, but we'd phrase this differently or it'd be confusing. Mm -hmm, right. Or, you know, you know, and you also work with the Latin American translators and the French Canadian translators. Um, it's a lot of, it's a very interconnected company. You, like, like, it's not just like you'd write the game and give it to somebody and then like some intern would take it to someone else. It's like, okay, you know, you know everything about the game, so you're going to help us design the box. Sure. And I think that's like a lot of a lot of people, and myself included, have been like reductive about how how localization works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's something where you go like, well, Japan. You know, I mean, growing up obviously as a Nintendo fan, yeah. you would get it. It wasn't it wasn't unheard of to get a game a year after Japan did, or especially with stuff sure, like yeah. RPGs, and you'd just be like. Well, I mean, just get in there and just like change it all to English, and it's like obviously it's it's not 
It's not just it's that, not just right? That, yeah. So I mean, the different. I, I didn't. So like, even the voice acting thing is kind of an important part of it. Right. I think if you're writing, even if you're writing for a TV show or something, you don't always necessarily get to sit in on who ends up Ex- delivering the lines you're writing. Well, there's also like you know the difference between, and and again, I don't speak for Nintendo now, and I only speak for my experience there, so I'm not like a company representative. Sure. Um, but you know the difference is like in the '80s, like when you saw like an anime show on television, that was because some company bought the rights to that show, and then they were like, okay, how can we cheaply translate? Mm-hmm. Like this, right? But Nintendo's all one company. Yeah. So you know they're not giving us a finished project, or they weren't giving me a finished project. Now translate it, then give it to them, and they're like, "Good, done." It's like, okay, here's what I wrote. And usually, NCL has people who speak English, who are like, uh, "Okay, you wrote this. What does this mean? Or why would you make this change? Or oh, we like this a lot. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there, there's a lot <clears throat> of gates that are being checked to make sure like nobody's going crazy on the project. It's right. a very close collaboration. Yeah, and if you look back just at the company's history, I feel like we didn't get that sort of fine-crafted localization from Nintendo until the mid-90s. Right, yeah. With games like Earthbound specifically. That was, that's one Let's of see, like, the, and, the crown jewels of And the reason it's called Treehouse is because it started to form around when Donkey Kong came out. Right. When uh, Donkey Kong Country came out, so they had the Treehouse and Donkey Kong, and that sort of stuck as the name of that group. Which I think, nice. I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but I think the first time, or the closest we've ever actually come to seeing Treehouse, yeah. which, by the way, you just can't. I went on no, a... No, there's... Security yeah. doors. And I, I went on a tour. Jose and I were at a, at NOA last year, right? Yeah, yeah. first platoon project. And yeah, yeah we went on a. Uh, they gave it took us around a tour. Which, by the way, like it's it's just awesome because it's a beautiful green building. It's yeah. so cool, and it's also like grow, have, having grown up getting, you know. Uh, big things in the mail from Redmond, Washington yeah. with pictures of my favorite characters on it and then going to visit is really cool and they have their whole store there that the employees yeah. go down to but there was not even a slim of a, a spring, you know tiniest chance of being like can we go check out Treehouse yeah. but I remember in the 90s uh, Nintendo Power sent out these VHS tapes for Donkey Kong Country yeah. And they did this walk through this hallway where you could see all the artwork that uh, Nintendo Power got because people sent in envelope yeah. art. And they were like, this is Treehouse. Or they made some reference to it. And that's the closest we've gotten to like actually seeing inside those doors. It's a highly secretive place. Yeah. I think once when I was there, they did Halloween for kids. You know, like a company Halloween where like kids could come in and trick or treat. Yeah. And they opened up Treehouse. And like everyone was very careful to like put away their prototypes. You had to like shut off anything you were working on. They're very, very uh, careful about security. Even to the people that work at Nintendo. Yeah, but like if you're bringing separate like separate buildings, right? I think they were just afraid like if you brought in like an eight-year-old, you know, who's mm-hmm. excited about Nintendo that he yeah. might be like, oh, I saw, you know, we weren't working on a Kirby game, but I saw a new Kirby game and then tell his friends then like someone posts it online and that and becomes a whole to thing. To be the one guy in history who's, or the one kid in history who's like my uncle works at Nintendo. He's right. I remember this happening a few times where, you know, schoolyard talk right. turns yeah. into something online and then right. somebody says, oh, this kid from this guy who works at Nintendo and the right. dad's probably like, uh, exactly. Uh, some, what was it? Uh, was it Cecil in Final Fantasy 2? I don't know, but for me it was when uh, Smash Brothers 4 was yeah. in development and every other week someone oh, or their God, grandma yeah. made yeah. a freaking, like, here's a roster. Yeah. Here's the blurry <laughs> shot. Oh, my God. They got Ridley this time. And yep. all that yep. sort of nonsense, which uh, made me just want to put my head through a wall. Yeah. Um, no, but thank you so much for sharing. Like, yeah. it, it's just it's really good to hear about um, just that process. I guess my last question to you is, yeah. did you ever expect to work for Nintendo? I mean, like, no. what was that like? Like, um, just Did you decide to apply? Was just like a recommendation thing, if you don't mind me asking? I had a friend there who I had, uh, I used to do comedy with, and he was like, hey, they're looking for somebody who might be able to do like a lighter tone. Um, maybe possibly leading up to Kid Icarus, but he didn't say that. Because, you know, a lot of people who get into video games like writing more serious stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. fantasy stuff and like a little more, you know, purpley RPG pros. And they're like, we want someone who's a bit more goofy. Um, 
And I was at the end of the season at SNL as an assistant. And I was like, yeah, I'll apply. I will never get it. And I remember even in the first interview I did, I did an interview uh, with one of the people in the treehouse. And it went so well that at the end of the interview, he's like, he's like, great. It was great talking to you. And I was like, yeah, all right. Well, I hope you hire somebody. Like in my head, I thought I'm not going to get this job. Mm -hmm. Not because I wasn't qualified, but I just thought like, Working at Nintendo was something someone else did, hmm. and they and they hired me, and they were super cool. They're also, I should say, you know, even though I don't work there anymore, they're an awesome company to work for. Mm-hmm. Like of video game companies, they're just super nice to everybody. Um, the last story is when I worked there, they got a new building. Not because I was there, but because the headquarters you visited is different than the headquarters you saw in the old Nintendo Power. Right? Yes, yeah. It and was so, it was they pulled like a, a Yankee Stadium thing where they built the old one in the, right in the next new to parking lot or right, whatever, yeah. right? Yeah, and or vice versa. Before they demolished it, they had a paintball game in the old building. I've heard about oh, this. And I got right. to play in that paintball game and I got shot. In the nuts, really. Am I allowed to say that? But I got, yes. I got, and it hurt more than anything. I've had a trunk door shut on my head. It had, I don't know who did it because <laughs> you're wearing a mask. The trunk door. But I, but I the... remember that being like this moment where I was like, it was two weeks into work, and I was like, oh my god, I'm at Nintendo. We had a paintball fight in old Nintendo headquarters. And I got shot right in the nuts, and I was like, I hate this. Was, was Reggie in this fight? <laughs> Reggie definitely played. I don't know if he, what team he was on. Maybe Reggie shot you in the nuts with yeah. a paintball. That's but a sentence I got to say. Story. That's, that's <laughs> I the story. I doubt it. I'm sure it was, was just this like be, this, some person. So this was way before. Splatoon, right? This was way before Splatoon. I wonder if they had any idea that this was a that was going to be. They, a were, thing? they were basically hey, prototyping a paintball. Man. Right. Like, yeah. just, that sounds. I heard about this one. I think when we were up there, someone had mentioned it to us. And yeah. I was like, really? That sounds rad. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah, yeah. it's really. It good was to really hear. cool, but it hurt. It's yeah. It's all fun and games until somebody shoots you in the nuts. Does it still hurt? Well, uh, having the thought of it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk a little bit about Paper Mario and the good and bad of that series. Jose Otero here with Pear Schneider, hey. Brian Altano, and special guest Mike Drucker. Hello. So, gentlemen, I would love to talk to you guys about Paper Mario Color, spl- uh, color Splash. I almost said Splash. Color Splash. 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 Color Splash. Super. So, this week, or last week, excuse me, uh, Nintendo announced that a new chapter in the Paper Mario series is coming out. And much to my surprise, I discovered after the fact, because we recorded our episode right after uh, the Direct, is that people are actually really concerned about this game. Now, I don't want to focus just on the negativity here, Mm -hmm. uh, but we are going to talk about it. But I do want to talk about, in the larger sense, Paper Mario as a series. What has the series done right, and where has the series been not so right? Right. Um, So the concerns specifically are about, uh, some folks are worried that this is going to be Sticker Star 2, Mm -hmm. which to them is a bit problematic because Sticker Star's battle system, Sticker Star's approach, was a little, it was very different from a traditional RPG, which is where Paper Mario started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about this. Like, what, yeah. based on what you saw, first of all, like, are you guys concerned? I mean, personally, I think it never got as good again as during the GameCube era, right? Like, right. Paper yeah. Mario yeah. was just clever. The whole, like, buddy system was great, character development, battle system, presentation, all of that came together in games like Thousand Year Door. Right, right, right. Um, and then it went lighter after, afterwards, right? Super and Paper Mario. 
Mario. Yeah, and, and yeah. like it did a little bit more action. It it left the RPG roots behind, and I think that's ultimately where people are going to have different opinions, right? right. Some people, some people really like the RPG aspects more than anything, and some people don't mind a game that's a little bit more action oriented, less about you know leveling up and, and right. developing. See, I'm, I'm kind of with them on that because the the more or the I'll, I'll say the less Paper Mario is an RPG, and the more become an action platforming game. I'm like, well, you already make really good action platforming Mario but, games. Right, right. And Better this is, controlling ones. Yeah, yeah I and, completely agree. And you end up not, it's like, and I've, I think I've said this before on the show, but you end up having this sort of jack of all trades, master of none, where it's not it's not a fantastic RPG and it's not a fantastic platforming game. Uh, and if I want to play a platforming Mario, like there's 30 different, I mean, I can play Mario Maker. You know, there's right. like 6.5 million, million courses. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Exactly. <laughs> But there's also the uh, right now. I think a lot of people are looking at the footage and and basing all their opinions on a couple of seconds of footage, right? Like yeah. the ba- it does look it does look more action oriented. You're seeing the card system, right? Yeah. You're seeing a little bit of a gimmick of swiping the cards from the gamepad, you know, yeah, and right. sending uh, them up. Yeah, and and so I think that's what a lot of people are reacting to. We don't actually know exactly what this game will be well, like. Bill right. did introduce it in the North American Direct as an action adventure and not an right. RPG, and that I think is the exact wording that made some mm-hmm. folks. Do you just think go, that's it? Oh man, like what is happening? I really liked how Paper Mario but used I'm to be. Sh- but I'm sure that's carefully chosen, right? Like it's not like role playing game is a dirty word, and Nintendo has for Nintendo they have used it for strategy RPG right. for Fire Emblem, right? right, right? Yeah. And and um, I don't know. It it could be that they looked at their portfolio and we said and said we had Xenoblade, we had you know mm-hmm. we had Fire Emblem, so we need something a little bit more action oriented for our catalog, and so they're stressing that angle more than anything. But you know, I mean, See, looking at the game, it does look more action oriented. There's not sure, a lot of yeah. development and other think, than HP. And, there's totally room yeah. for games like this in this genre, right? Like when South Park: Stick of Truth came out, it was one of my favorite games that year because it was like. I want an RPG, but I don't want. I don't have eighty hours, so right. I played something like that, and I'm like, this this totally works. It's got it's just as actiony as it is RPG. The problem is that game didn't really have any sort of significant roots of being like this. wasn't the seventh South Park RPG in the series right. where right. they could they could take some liberties. So I think people <laughs> do want like it's weird because I do want that eleven hour long, twelve hour long, fifteen hour long action RPG. Right, but uh, I un- totally understand why people do want. What Paper Mario used to be, and South Park is more linear too, right? Yeah. Like, but and one thing you saw in the footage, like if you look at the Japanese direct to there are a couple of different uh, scenes, there's an overworld map, right, that you move on, right, which is a little bit more like classic. Mario Brothers and less like a role-playing game. And I think that some fans are a little concerned, you know, because they liked having like, you know, a partner who had a quirky personality and Mm. you'd meet different people and you'd explore towns that had like, you know, weird qualities to them. Like if you look at Thousand Year Door, there's a lot of like areas that are like, oh, this is like a creepy town, which fits in with the Mario universe, but is still a fun place to explore. And I think, you know, uh, for some people, I'm sure that the fear is just that with an overworld and stuff like that, it's just you have little levels and you mm-hmm. don't necessarily have that same sense of scale that you got from a Paper Mario game in the past. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and also there's maybe the fear that like, you know, Mario, there's Mario and Luigi and that's your Mario RPG. And then you have P- Paper Mario, which is your in-between game. Again, like you said, a master of none. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the fan concern. I mean, it looks beautiful. Yeah. And I don't know anything really about nice. it. Yeah, I yeah. love the, the look. You know, and also, like, the deck system could be much more fun than the sticker system as a battle system. Yep, right. yep. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, it, it's always it's always, it's always hard with Nintendo Directs because people are like, oh, I don't want to play this Metroid game because there's four people. It's like, yeah, but 
it might be that's what you said about Prime when it was a first person shooter that mm-hmm. you didn't want to enjoy I it. I can attest to that. Remember there was that? a yeah. lot of hate, yeah. So, I mean, there's part of me that or when like, Wind Waker was a cartoon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and I'll always be a Nintendo fanboy, so I'm always going to give them, you know, a lot of room. Mm-hmm. I think that we need to see more before we can say, like, oh, they ruined it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I think that's fair. Um, and I do think that for the longest time, Paper Mario has been an action-oriented RPG. Like, yeah. not so much, mm-hmm. you know, the the same as you would particularly call an RPG what or what you expect an RPG to be. But I will say... Is part of this potentially this differentiating factor trying to make Paper Mario different? Just a real realization with the Nintendo that the Mario and Luigi RPG series is basically the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is sort of a, a turn-based RPG with actiony sort of elements, and yeah. I don't think that the both can co. I don't think the two of them can coexist side by side. Someone probably listening would say they absolutely can, but I think maybe for Nintendo, it's a differentiating play. Maybe yes, it's just yes. hey, we need this to be different, mm-hmm. but. Unfortunately, like that does take something that, you know, for for better or worse, like Thousand Year Door is considered the best chapter of that series. Yeah. Right? Folks who really want a part two to that or a game that follows that note for note are disappointed because mm-hmm. they don't know what to expect from this game based on the very little they saw. Yeah, and that's the same story with Metroid. We talked about that before, yeah. right? Like if there was a clear path to getting you know, a sequel to a beloved game, I think fans would be a little bit less antsy and yeah, a little totally. bit less, uh, you know, quick yeah. to to judge a game based on, you know, 10 seconds of footage. But there is there is that worry that Nintendo also, you know, is running out of time on this platform and needs to downscale some of the projects. It is usually, like Zelda games accept, uh, accepted, it is easier to crank out an action game than it is an, a role-playing game. Right? Sure, yeah, of course. Development time-wise. And so, yeah, Remember when we had a game called Super Mario RPG and we didn't get the sequel to that, right? But we did eventually get a Paper Mario game that we fell in love with. Yeah, and right. so, you know, things have to be allowed to change over time, too. Yeah. I do like Paper Mario a lot better than Mario and Luigi. So I'm hoping it's not that the one yeah. is pushing the other one out. Sure. Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit then about what Paper Mario has done right? Like either from the outset on the 64 or the GameCube version or even the ac- more actiony or very different systems of like Super Paper Mario or Sticker Star. Like what what were your some of your favorite things from these games? Battle system, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, just think about like we all love the active time battles and the you know and Super NES uh, Final Fantasies, and they took that kind of concept and then added action to it, so yes. that right. your button presses were even more meaningful. I yeah. thought they did an amazing job with that. Yeah, well, uh, I also think the way that they tie in the aesthetic with everything. Yeah, yeah. and you can even beautiful. say that even if you don't like Sticker Star. Um, it worked, like, th- at least the visuals, there's, like, a cohesive thing to it. Yep. The stickers and the cards in the new game. I've always loved the visuals of it. I mean, if you look at Paper Mario on the 64, it's one of the few 64 games that holds up visually. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. There's always, a, like, to, to couple, to, or to sort of piggyback on that, too, like, the sort of the art style and the animation is wonderful. And it adds a, a great layer to the humor. Like, watching yeah. an enemy get hit and then just kind of fold, fold and flutter yeah. away. Yeah. Or, like, when a guy's just standing there and he shakes and just falls backwards. Like, <laughs> it's like he's a, uh, you know, like a wooden a wooden prop on a, on a play or something like that yeah. is great. The writing has always been really, really yeah, good, exactly. really fun. Uh, especially people, everyone remembers Super Paper Mario, like that internet uh, message board troll guy. Oh, yeah, like, or, like, the, the dragon. 
dragon's eye and yeah. how it was loading and it was yeah. the eShop like yeah. loading like circle. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it just so like smart. That. Very clever. Um, no, no, I completely agree. I played this weekend and there were the jokes like when Mar- uh, Paper Mario is going to bed and he just like folds Both between the, the sheets. Like, yeah. No one yeah. ever has to fix a bed in that world. I know. There's like little jokes like I know, that. It's great. Um, and, and then I was also playing Thousand Year Door. And I have to agree, the sidekick is always a really cool thing. Like yeah. it was Goombaria. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. what? This is the, like you're, you're. Although they did that twice, because Paper Mario also had uh, Goombario, I yeah. think was his name, yeah. and it was like a Goomba who is all of a sudden your ally. Meanwhile, all the rain, uh, all the regular Mario games, you're stomping these things out yeah. of existence. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to point I hope out they don't see those. <laughs> yeah, but they don't hold that against yeah. you in the Paper right. Mario universe. And I even loved uh, for the '64 version how um, when you first arrive at Peach's castle. I don't. I, I want to think this was intentional, but it felt like that lobby you enter in Mario sixty four, yeah. like the doors with the stars on them, and there's yeah, yeah. a certain placement of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just saying, like, it, th- I guess they were going for this. Like, I'm not yeah. sure if they were it, officially or not. It but. did a lot right with kind of just referencing the regular Mario universe right. first of all, right? Like, and they they obviously were able to take a different take with this different art style. But then, yeah, the dialogue between you and the sidekicks was just really good. You felt like all of them had different personalities. That was very, very successful. And that's something that we see in games like Fire Emblem too, right? Nintendo's really good at creating these characters and depending on how much time you invest, you really get to know them. Yeah, and the way they sort of, there's a, a Goomba, basically they tattle on the enemy you're about to fight, mm-hmm. or they have something to say about everyone and every place that yep. you visit. Mm-hmm. And I also thought that was a fun touch, because here you have almost a tour guide, where if you're someone who isn't familiar with the way the Mario games work, or want a little more information on some of these settings that they basically made up for the Paper Mario series, right. mm-hmm. you have someone there who's going to tell you about it. And yeah. I think that was a smart way to yeah. do it. Cool. So cool. yeah, I would like more of that too. Yeah. yeah, I would love another Super Mario RPG follow-up Paper Mario game. Yeah, yeah. Um, someday. But, you know, at the same time, I'm I'm excited to see some lighter fare like this too. Yeah. Um, more than that, I kind of expect it. Like, I feel like, honestly, right? I feel like the Wii U is done, and so you're getting this kind of end of life cycle. Um, yeah. game lineup for mm-hmm. the machine. And, like, I know they're fans <coughs> of Kirby. Somebody tweeted at me. Awesome. Oh, we got um, a few letters yeah, in, too. We, well, sorry yeah. we don't have them ready did, to did read. Did you guys um, insult Kirby? No, I basically said, is there anybody out sucks. there who's, <laughs> who's sitting here going, like, you know, Dark I cannot wait like for this. the next Kirby game. I'm going to buy a Wii U for the for, yeah. for the next Kirby game. The same way you would get with, like, Mario or Zelda, yeah, yeah, right? Because yeah. like, Kirby is, like, a lighter kind of There's one guy simpler. with, like, a Kirby tattoo, and it's They're, got the angry eyebrows from, like, the Japanese box. No, they, are, the they absolutely are, but, yeah. but I always feel like they're when when a console comes to the end of its life cycle, yeah. the Kirby ratio goes rapidly <laughs> up. <laughs> you've, never, you've never said this on this show before. Yeah. That's pretty funny. That's funny. Uh, pretty that, funny I, think that's, I, I think that's accurate. Remember, I, mean, that I think the last game on well, N64 the, the was DS Kirby, too. There he's, was a he's, massive yeah, attack. Yeah, he's was. the life vest on the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly, deploy the Kirbys. Inflate <laughs> 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 the rafts. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, I'm I'm glad we got to talk about that. Yeah. If you yeah. have feedback on Paper Mario uh, Color Splash, I would just say, at least in my mind, I'm going to give it a little more time. Yeah. Um, granted, you're not. I don't think you're wrong for like being a little concerned, but I think there's still time for this story to be told. Sure. Yeah. So hopefully, the next time we see it, we get to find out a little bit more about what this thing's going to be. Mike, thank you so much for coming on thank the program. You for having yeah, me, Mike. It's so yeah. good to have you here. Yeah. So uh, tell the folks where they can find your work and w- yeah, yeah, just what's going on with you right uh, now. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Drucker, okay. uh, M-I-K-E-D-R-U-C-K-E-R. I'm also on Twitch, 
Mike Drucker, just the same name. Mm-hmm. I also have a podcast called How to Be a Person. Brian's been on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fun podcast I do with another Tonight Show writer named Jess Dweck, where we figure out how to do human things. Nice. Oh, nice. that's very nice. Yeah. Well, you're also yeah. starting a, a podcast Hamilton podcast about after Hamilton. my Are own you seriously? Heart. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yes. With, I am so happy about this. It's me, Jess Dweck, and then a Daily Show writer named Trayvon Free. Okay. And it's called uh, The Room Where It's Happening. It's going to be on Earwolf probably in April. That's wow. awesome. Wow. Yeah. That is so, so cool. awesome. I wish you nothing but luck for that. Thank I you. definitely, yeah. as a big fan of the show, will be listening to that. Yeah, please. Uh, thank you very much for listening to Nintendo Voice Chat. Chat. Leave us feedback on iTunes or email us at nvc at ign.com. You can find us on Twitter. You can find Brian Altano at Agent Bizzle. And you can find Pear at Pear IGN. You can find myself, Jose underscore Otero. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back next week with more Nintendo Voice Chat.